The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. I have the great privilege today to have with me Dr. Sarah J. Buckley. Dr. Buckley, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marie. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I have been very eager to have Dr. Buckley as my guest because of uh, it actually, it was originally because of an article that she wrote, but I should tell you that she is the author of a very popular, very insightful book, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, A Doctor's Guide, and that is available both as a hard copy and as uh, a Kindle. And then I should also tell you that she has recently pulled together this report that is titled Hormonal Physiology of Childbearing, Evidence and Implication for Women, Babies, and Maternity Care. Now, let me tell you why I love everything that she has to say. I think that Ina Mae Gaskin, who many of you have heard of Ina Mae, I'm sure, uh, in the foreword to the book, she wrote a sentence that just really clicked for me. She said, Sarah Buckley knows the information in her bones, but she has the science to back it up. And I thought, whoa, yes, this is, this is my kind of woman. <laughs> and so I've asked her today to talk about the, the physiology and the physiological processes that go into birth. But don't worry, it's not going to be boring, okay? This is not going to be a science lecture. Uh, but how those affect breastfeeding and also about the, the actual birth practices that we do what we should be doing naturally and then what we end up doing in a very uh, medicalized situation. And then we'll talk a little bit about filling those gaps. It's already happened. How do we make the best of it? So, Dr. Buckley, you have a very interesting uh, sentence here that really caught my attention. And that was you said... The hormonal processes of birth and breastfeeding are intertwined and continuous and uh, designed for successful lactation in all mammals. Wow, that's quite uh, profound. 
Tell us about this. Yeah, well, the first thing to to realize is that we are mammals. We have mammary glands and we suckle our young. So the processes of labor and birth and lactation and also actually maternal infant attachment are common amongst all mammals. We really have the same kind of physiology and we have this common 63 million years of evolution, of mammalian evolution. Mm. And what what's happened over those 63 million years is that obviously mothers and babies have successfully birthed um, that's right. been essential for reproductive success that's why we're all here today but successfully giving birth is not enough to ensure survival of the of the babies and survival of the species because for all of those 63 million years until the last you know tiny number last you know 100 years lactation breastfeeding has had to be successful otherwise the babies don't naturally survive and that's true for all right. Other species, right. so um, but the other sometimes I call this the triangle of species survival. You Ooh, know, birth is part of it. <laughs> uh-huh. So birth is one aspect of it. Breastfeeding is one aspect of it. But the other aspect of it is maternal infant attachment or bonding, as we call it, and that happens for all mammals. The mother has to be rewarded and motivated to give the dedicated care that every mammalian newborn needs. And so what happens is in her brain, she has. I'm talking about women here as well we have these reward and pleasure centers the dopamine centers and they get activated in relation to caring for our baby so we find it pleasurable we find it rewarding and that motivates us to do it so birth breastfeeding and attachment the processes are all as I say intertwined and continuous and they actually all involve the same hormonal processes so we could say birth breastfeeding and attachment is all one process from you know mother nature's perspective it's all species survival but we've kind of broken it up in our current maternity care system and we have mm, birth absolutely. and all the kind of stuff around birth and then we have breastfeeding and we haven't even thought about the connections between birth and breastfeeding so that's kind of one of the topics for today how do birth and breastfeeding interact with each other because they're all based on the same hormonal physiology talk to us about those hormones you just mentioned dopamine Uh, Talk to us about that and other things that are going to play into uh, all of the comments that you're going to help us with today. Yeah, so there's a lot of hormones involved in labor and birth and um, uh, a lot of processes actually that we don't understand, Marie. For example, if I could tell you what caused the onset of labor and birth oh. in women, I'd get a Nobel Prize <laughs> Yes, we don't the answer to that question, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. So some of the basic stuff we don't even know, but we know there's many processes involved. So the ones that I talk about in my work and the report um, are called uh, um, the oxytocin system. So people might be familiar with that hormone oxytocin. It's famous for being the the hormone that makes the uterus contract in labor, but it's also become famous for a whole another lot of reasons. It's called the hormone of love, the hormone of monogamy, the hormone of trust, <laughs> a hormone yes. of calm connection. It's a really positive hormone. So during labor and birth, at the same time that it's causing these contractions in labor, it's also being released from and within the brain. And in the brain, it has natural pain relieving effects. It helps us to be calm and connected within the intensity of the processes of labor and birth and it's also beginning to switch on those maternal behaviors the attachment centers in the brain and part of the way that it does that is by switching on these pleasure and reward centers so that when we meet our baby for the first time we've got maximal activation of pleasure and reward and we say oh my god this is the best thing in the world my baby oh, yes 
Oh, it's kind yes. of like, I describe it a bit like the best first date ever because <laughs> your systems are maximally activated, your baby systems are maximally activated so that you form this strong bond that's going to help your baby survive, you know, and that's what it's all about. It's not actually about having a good feeling, although it does, it is a good feeling. I call it ecstatic birth, but it's actually about rewarding and motivating you, you know, creating a good first impression, you could say, so that you'll go Ooh, on and give that I dedicated like that. care, you know, and, and a pleasurable way that your baby will be a source of pleasure and reward for you and that's where it activates the dopamine systems in the brain so it's all you know neurochemistry biology hormones are they all kind of interact in this you know hormonal orchestration as we call it that's very complex you know and very sensitive very sensitive around this time of labor and birth so that's the first hormone system oxytocin and then we have i want to back up just a minute there dr buckley you said you said that oxytocin uh, well, you certainly said that or, or implied that it uh, causes the contractions, which is true. But you said that oxytocin also has a pain relieving uh, factor. Now, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to convince people of that. They're, <laughs> they're, they're there with their watch, timing their contractions and and thinking how painful this is. Uh, tell us a little bit about that pain relieving piece that oxytocin can accomplish. Well, well, the labor and birth is an intense experience. <laughs> if you've had a baby, you might have noticed that. <laughs> and occasionally women, you know, some women do have a painless birth experience. Occasionally it does happen, but for most women it's there's some sensations, you know. <laughs> that's yeah. a, that's a um, that's a, an understatement. So that so there are inevitably sensations of labor and birth, but mother nature provides these tools, these hormonal systems to help us to get through it. So we have oxytocin which has intrinsic pain relieving properties inside the brain where it's released. We also have endorphins, particularly beta endorphin, that's released inside the brain during labor and birth. And that's a powerful analgesic hormone um, or substance. And what one of the things that beta endorphin does or endorphins do, they put us into this altered state of consciousness. Mm, so in a yes. physiologic, in a natural physiologic, as we say, labor and birth, the woman is in this altered state of consciousness. And it, it doesn't, for, for some women, it does abolish the pain of labor. But what I say is it puts us into this altered state where we can transcend the stress and pain of labor. They become part of the process. And and if you look at a woman in physiologic labor and birth, she seems to be in this kind of altered state. They call it going to labor land or going to another planet. And one of the Native American tribes apparently says that the laboring mother goes out to the stars to collect the soul of her baby and bring it back. Oh, how lovely. Mm. Yeah. So that's part of that's just part of the process is you know the and the other thing to say is that the sensations of labor within the body are actually critical because the sensations of labor feed back by a nerve pathway to the brain and cause the release of oxytocin within the brain. And when oxytocin is released in the brain, then it gets released into the body, then it causes stronger sensations that causes more feedback to the brain. It's a positive feedback system, a whole cycle. Yeah. So, so that's important because if we abolish the pain of labor completely, for example, with an epidural, we that's, lose that, that hormonal feedback yeah. cycle and then yeah. the sensations reduce and then we need to fill that gap by giving women synthetic oxytocin, which doesn't have the same effects, you see, because yeah. synthetic oxytocin doesn't go into the brain. It doesn't act as a pain-relieving, calm, connecting, hormone of love, maternal attachment. It doesn't do all of those things because it's only injected into the body. 
See, that's so insightful because I agree with you. I have absolutely seen these women that are in this sort of altered state, transcendent state, whatever, however you want to describe it. And I've also seen that when women have the synthetic oxytocin, in our country we call it the pitocin, um, that then it seems like it is only just pain, 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 and the pain gets uh, uh, closer and harder, and it's very difficult to cope with. I also, for the for those of you who might not have quite picked up on this, Dr. Buckley talked about labor being uh, a positive feedback mechanism. And what that means is that the more you have, the more you have. And the the process keeps going and going and going and going until the entire event ends. And of course, in this case, since it's labor and birth, the oxytocin and the labor will keep going until the baby is born. And there's a similar uh, corollary with making milk, and we'll talk about that later. I just knew this was going to be fascinating, and already I'm wanting to jump ahead to those interventions. But, of course, we can't do that just yet. We need to take a break. So, everybody, please do stand by. Don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with family physician Dr. Sarah J. Buckley, who is author of Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering. We'll be back right after this short break. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. 
evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Dr. Sarah Buckley. Dr. Buckley, before we went to break, we were talking about the idea of labor being a positive feedback mechanism. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that whole snowballing effect that can happen. Yeah, so in, if, for anyone with a science background, you probably know the word homeostasis, where sure. the body's designed to keep things exactly the same. So if hormone levels get too high, there's these processes that bring them down to keep things even. Well, labor is not a homeostatic process. Things don't stay even in labor. It's an accelerating process. So I call it the snowball of labor. And through these positive feedback loops, we just talked about the one where the sensations of labor cause a release of oxygen oxytocin in the brain which causes more sensation so that's one of the ways that the snowball gets built up but there's other positive feedback systems that that um, contribute to this snowballing effect so again it starts small these positive feedback loops come into play it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and in the end becomes virtually unstoppable yes. so it's really important to know that and it's important yes. also you know just going to skip ahead a bit here about you know how to help yourself to have the most physiologic labor and birth. In the beginning, that small snowball is more easily disrupted. You know, if you're having a physiologic birth and um, you transfer to hospital early in labor, you know, things can sometimes go a bit um, pear-shaped. You know, things, yes. labor can slow down, yes. which is a hormonal effect as well. But if you go into labor, go into hospital when your labor is a big snowball and virtually unstoppable, the chances of it getting disrupted by the stress, you know, by the, the intrinsic, the inevitable stress of being in a different, a strange environment, then the chance of that being um, affecting your labor is much lower. So the snowball effect can be a really helpful way of guiding you about, you know, when is your when is your snowball big enough? When is your labor established enough, as we say, that, you know, external circumstances aren't going to disrupt it too much? I had one Gravita 6 tell me a, a sentence that I have never forgotten. She was uh, about ready to deliver, and somebody was telling her that, no, 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 it wasn't time and all this baloney. And I remember her her words exactly. She said, nobody's stopping this freight train now. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it, yeah. And, and as you were talking about the snowball, I was thinking, 
the freight train. It's the same idea. The same thing. More and more momentum, isn't it? Absolutely. It's that more and more momentum. But here's the thing. You know, I think that people think that contractions are, well, you have a contraction and then you have this space in between and then you have another contraction and then you have a space in between and so forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Well, as a as a woman who's been through labor, I'm very thankful for the spaces in between because <laughs> yes, yes. you know you do get to relax. Hopefully, and that's I think that's one of the keys to labor too is being oh, able to definitely. really fully oh. relax as much as you can in those spaces oh, yes. in between. But you see, what it was also happening in your body is those contractions are due to, as we mentioned, the release of oxytocin from the brain into the body goes down to the uterus, and oxytocin actually binds with these things called uter- um, oxytocin receptors. It's kind of like putting a key into a lock so they bind with the oxytocin receptors on the outside of the uterine muscle cell uh, turns the key in the lock and sends a message into the muscle cell saying contract so oxytocin from the brain causes the contractions of labor in that way so you get a, a rush of oxytocin it's released in pulses from the brain during labor you get a contraction and then the pulse subsides and the contraction subsides and that's actually really important from a physiological perspective because during that brain the oxytocin receptors actually recover as well. They have a break from exposure to oxytocin. Uh And that recovery keeps them sensitive, keeps them active, keeps them working Mm -hmm. with the oxytocin. Mm -hmm. And the other side of that is when we we talked a little bit about synthetic oxytocin, that it doesn't go into the brain. But the other problem with it is when we give a constant high level of, of hormone, and this is a general principle, the body protects itself from overstimulation. And that's what happens in the uterus if we give these constant high doses of synthetic oxytocin or pitocin. If we put a woman on a pitocin drip, this right. is what happens. She gets this constant high level. And the uterine receptors, her body is saying, oh, too much, too much, you know, um, too much stimulation here and protects itself by actually reducing the number of receptors. So she loses her sensitivity to the oxytocin. It becomes less and less effective. And the other problem that it has is after the birth, it's really important that a woman has nice, big, strong uterine contractions to stop the bleeding after the birth or postpartum hemorrhage. So if you have synthetic pitocin in labor, the chance of you having a hemorrhage is actually increased because you've lost the sensitivity of your oxytocin system. And then you need more oxytocin after the birth to fill in that hormonal gap, as I'd call it. Absolutely. so the physiologic way of, of oxytocin is, you know, a, a pulse and then a break. And that the synthetic oxytocin, the flat pattern of, um, of administration of it is actually um, counterproductive for the body's oxytocin system and can reduce the sensitivity of the system. Well, this brings me right to my next question, which is, uh, I, I don't know what it is in Brisbane, but we have got a very high rate of uh, augmentations or inductions with the synthetic oxytocin, uh, Pitocin. What is the impact of that on breastfeeding? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. It's actually the, it's actually what I'm doing my PhD on at the moment. I'm doing a, a review of the studies that have looked at the impact of synthetic oxytocin on breastfeeding. But I can tell you now the short answer is we don't really know because it hasn't been well studied. You know, and mm-hmm. it, going back to that, I talked about the triangle of reproductive success where we're kind of separated birth from breastfeeding. We've made them different processes, um, you know, so we don't even think that they're connected. And, and there's very few studies that have looked at the impact of birth on breastfeeding. 
think I mean, the ones that have have shown a reduced um, duration of breastfeeding. Uh, there was one study that showed that it fa- affected the baby's ability to breastfeed in the um, in that early postpartum period. But you know, for such a common intervention as you say, you know, if you if you look at figures, and I mean in Australia it's about fifty percent of women get it for either induction or augmentation. Uh-huh. I think the figures are higher in the US because you see you have a higher rate of epidural use. Oh, and yes. I mentioned in the first part about the positive feedback loop. So when a woman has an epidural, the sensations passing from the uterus to the brain are abolished and you lose that positive feedback loop. So you lose the brain release of oxytocin. So your contractions tend to slow down or stop and then you're administered synthetic oxytocin. Basically, we could say that the epidurals caused a hormonal gap and we have to fill it in with more technology and they call it the cascade of intervention. So that combination of epidural and synthetic oxytocin is very, very common and both of those things probably have an additive effect. we don't. We one study actually looked at the amount of oxytocin the woman released while she was breastfeeding, according to what had happened for her in labour, and. Um, you know, when you when you breastfeed, we said they're the same hormone system. So oxytocin is a hormone of labor and birth, but it's also the hormone of what's called the letdown or milk ejection Absolutely. reflex. So as the baby suckles, the sensations from the baby, suckling baby feed back to the brain and tell the brain to release this big burst of oxytocin, which contracts the milk ducts and sends the milk to the baby. So the baby gets a, a, a good dose of milk, a big bursts of milk that the baby can swallow. So oxytocin is a hormone of birth, it's a hormone of attachment as I mentioned but also a hormone of breastfeeding. So if we just look at those things you know, externally, hormone of birth, hormone of breastfeeding, you'd imagine that synthetic oxytocin or meddling with the oxytocin system in birth could meddle with breastfeeding. Yeah. Meddle, and, and, meddle with I think is, is part of my issue there and, and I want to go back to what you said about the epidural. I cannot count the number of times I get this question either from professionals or from, well, parents actually don't know enough to, to ask in most cases. But mm-hmm. but the question is, how do epidurals affect breastfeeding? Now, I started reading the literature on that in 1992. And I'm not going to tell you that I'm as up to date on that as you are. But how do you respond to this? Because there's no easy answer to this. Yes. Well, again, you know, the interesting thing is that we really haven't studied these things and these interventions are so common. And we also have this increasing appreciation of the the, the, the benefits, we could say, well, the lifelong health and well-being that, um, benefits of breastfeeding or alternatively, we should really say it the other way around, that the, uh, yeah, the problems yeah. that happen if you don't breastfeed, you know, the lifelong health and well-being deficits you get from not breastfeeding. So, you know, we know, we know those things, but we haven't kind of put them together enough to really take these things seriously and to study in a good way, you know, in a um, methodologically sound way, good research. That's, we don't have good research on this, which is which is thing. which is crazy. I mean, it's just insane that we, we can't answer that question categorically. So there was a, um, a, a good summary paper written recently that found that the majority of studies in this area have found deficits on breastfeeding. There's a few studies that haven't found problems with breastfeeding. But if you look at those studies, they, they give a lot of support to the breastfeeding mother. They 
they encourage skin-to-skin yeah. contact immediately after birth. They have high rates of breastfeeding. They, you know, they kind of they, it's done in centres where breastfeeding is well supported. They have lactation consultants. So you know, my take-home message is: I think epidurals do impact breastfeeding, and I can mm-hmm. kind of unpack mm-hmm. that a bit more if you want. But I think the take-home message is: if you do have an epidural, make sure that you can fill in those hormonal gaps with skin-to-skin contact immediately, ongoing. Give your baby lots of time to begin suckling and have access to um, breastfeeding support. There's a part of me that always wants to say evidence-based practice, evidence-based practice, and there's another part of me that says, well, one nurse's observations do not a study make, but one nurse's observation over a few decades is probably worth listening to. And I'm with you. There are babies that do not breastfeed well And I can look at all of the things that are going on that seem like they should be breastfeeding well, but in fact, they aren't. And I always Mm. want to, I use this word loosely, to blame (laughs) the epidural. And, And I think that when you consider, and you did not exactly say this in your report, but you imply the daylights out of it. That for 63 million years we've been doing, uh, we've been birthing, and now we've got this new stuff like epidural, and we've just implemented that without really too much thought. So, everybody, do not go away. I'm here with (laughs) Dr. Buckley. We'll be right back after this short break. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. Dr. Buckley and I were just talking about some interventions that impact breastfeeding, and she was talking about epidurals, and I cut her off. So, uh, Dr. Buckley, feel free to continue. Talk about um, (laughs) whatever you wish, but uh, I'm thinking especially the medications that go into the epidurals. Yeah, so we've already talked about the hormones, the, the hormonal impact of epidurals, that it reduces oxytocin in labor, and we know that it can impact oxytocin release after the birth as well, particularly when it's given with synthetic pitocin. So that's kind of pretty much standard to get both of those things together. Yep. But yep. the other thing that's really important to consider is every drug that's given to the mother, with very few exceptions, crosses the placenta and gets into the baby's body as well. And the problem is that the epidural is given to the mother as a local anesthetic. It's a bit like getting a dental anesthetic. It's given right next to those spinal nerves so that it can numb them in your back, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. but for the baby, it passes into the baby's general bloodstream. It's a bit like if you went to the dentist and they gave you uh, the, the dental anesthetic into your bloodstream, it wouldn't actually have that same effect. So the baby doesn't get any analgesic or numbing effect, but the baby gets the impact of those drugs and they are significant drugs. They're local anesthetic drugs, which obviously numb the nerves, but they're also, opiate drugs are used in there, fentanyl commonly. These are yeah. morphine, heroin, pethidine, um, meperidine, all uh, um, derivatives of those drugs. And those drugs we know can, uh, they kind of sedate us and they take the edge off our, um, our kind of senses. And you know, those drugs can impact the baby as well. And that drug fentanyl is particularly concerning because it can have a very long, what we say, half-life. half-life. It takes the yeah. baby a long yeah. time to get rid of that drug. Yeah. So that drug can impact the baby. So you having the epidural puts that drug into your baby's body as well. And, you know, that if there's one time that you need to be maximally alert, it's that the minutes after birth, there's a lot for oh, a yes. baby to do there. And the baby has oh, to yes. kind of, you know, orient itself and arrive in this completely new place and then has to begin that initiating breastfeeding. That's what the baby's born to do. As you say, the born, baby's born to be breastfed. Absolutely. The baby's born to do the breast crawl and find the breast and self-attach. And that's the ideal way for breastfeeding to begin. So, you know, we don't want to disadvantage the baby in any way and the drugs of epidurals can disadvantage the baby and the other thing is you know there's now we have these so-called walking epidurals or low dose epidurals which Uh is a good development definitely but it's the total dose so you could have a kind of a light epidural but if you have it for hours and hours that's a big dose of drugs that you're receiving that your baby's receiving and once your baby's born and the cords cut your baby has to clear those drugs has to deal with those drugs themselves and the baby's capacities, the ability to get rid of those drugs is much less than an adult. You know, for example, um, you know, when a common uh, epi- um, local anesthetic drug, bupivacaine, has a half-life, how long it takes to get rid of it, of I think around two hours in an adult, but eight hours in a newborn. So they've Very found different. that drug, yeah, they've found that drug in newborn urine, you know, for 24 to 48 hours afterwards, it's still in the baby's wow. body. So that's a consideration as well. And I'm not saying don't have these epidurals, you know, when they're necessary, but, you know, just know that there's a gap. Be informed. 
be informed. There's a gap there for your baby and you're going to have to help your baby to fill in that gap. Some babies um, breeze through it, but some babies don't, you know, and, 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 you know, you've got to expect that you may need some extra support. Your baby may need some extra support for breastfeeding. As I say, filling in the hormonal gap may be important there for you. And I would just like to say, now, I am no anesthesiologist, not by any stretch of the imagination, but every study that I've ever read about the epidurals, uh, it seems to me that fentanyl is always one of the components of the epidural anesthesia, and bupivacaine or a similar product is always part of what they give in the epidural. So what Dr. Buckley is saying here is not like some oddball thing. It's actually pretty much, I think, the the norm as far as I can tell. And she's also saying that while the adult can clear the drug in a fairly short amount of time, for the baby, that's a much longer time. And I think it explains why we see these babies sometimes that are, you know, sometimes they've got that look on their face like, holy mackerel, was I supposed to be doing something here? Because if so, I don't know what it is. And, mm. you know, they really just are, are often reluctant to breastfeed. Um, I, I want to ask you something that I really do not know the answer to. And that is, what do you think of magnesium sulfate and its effect? Um, I That's not something I've really looked at, Marie, to be honest. Um, okay. You know, it's it's, you know, I mean, what, 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 in, in what circumstance are you talking about it being well, used? Uh, well, and, and I think that's part of the question, too, is that I have seen women who have come in, uh, for, for example, for preterm labor, and they've had magnesium sulfate for a long period of time. I've seen other people who they have their blood pressure go up in the last 20 minutes of labor. They get a little magnesium sulfate, and that's a very different scenario. So I've just never been able to get any useful information on that. But it seems to me that because it it, uh, depresses smooth muscle, and of course we know what it does for labor, uh, I just don't know what effect that has on the reflexes of the baby. So I'm not feeling too goofy that I don't know the answer to this because I think you're saying that... uh, You've had a bit of trouble getting your arms around that as well. Yeah, that's not something. There's a lot of things yeah. that we, in the report, we we had a whole long list of things we wanted to know about the impacts on the, the hormones of labor and birth, like, um, for example, position in labor, like intravenous oh, yeah. fluids, like eating and drinking, and we just couldn't find any evidence for that, so we really couldn't include those things. Include but, I mean, certainly, you know, any of those interventions could potentially have hormonal effects. Uh, as far as I know, magnesium sulfate is not commonly used in Australia. Australia and uh, it was ah. used in the old days, like when I did my obstetric training, you know, years ago, we were using it for preterm labor for eclampsia, but I don't think we're using it now, but but maybe it's made a comeback in the US. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know about that. You know, yeah. actually, I have to tell you, I have seen it come and go and come yeah. and go. <laughs> You've seen all the, all the history, well, Marie. Yeah. You know, honestly, my sister said to me one time, when you get old enough, you realize that what comes around goes around. You <laughs> and there, I think there's something to that. Yeah, um, talk, that's right. Just, us, can I just, just go back to say sure. one more, just to really emphasize one thing, that anything that's given to the mother in labor will get through to the baby. So sometimes women are told that there's this placental barrier, but there's no placental barrier except to a, a, a small 
number of very large molecular chem um, chemicals, you know, like um, heparin, for example, but everything else that you're given in labor goes through to your baby. So all of those drugs that we're talking about, they all go through to your baby there. You can find them in the baby's cord blood. You can find them in the urine. That's in all the anesthesiology journals. So if you're ever told that, it's not, it's not true. It's factually incorrect. Yeah, yeah, I guess I'm sort of visualizing the placenta as you're talking and I'm thinking how could anybody think that they don't go to the baby? I mean, that's just mm -hmm. that's kind of wild. Um are are you prepared to uh talk a little bit about that fluid we give IVs right and left here. Uh have for years. And there's been so much flap lately about the baby losing weight. And uh, can you address that at all? Look, that's again, as I said, that's something we put on the list originally. It was something we okay. tried to see if there were hormonal effects, um, if there were studies done on that, but we didn't find any studies done okay. on that. So okay. kind of I can't I can't give you a, you know, kind of categorical comment except to say that, again, everything that's given to the mother is given to the baby. So if the mother gets fluid overloaded, the baby can't get baby fluid gets, overloaded. Right. They can leave, be hyponatremic. It. Yeah, yeah, it can be a really, you know, it can be disruptive for the mother's physiology and the baby's physiology and all of those things can impact breastfeeding. I mean, you have to presume that these things that are not biological, you know, are going to are going to have some kind of effect. And you know, going back a step, you know, the mother eating and drinking in labour—that's oh, normal. The mother yes, eats and drinks yes. in labour, and when we start telling her she can't do that, we she create a gap that then she's got to have IV fluids to, you know, because she's yeah. not drinking. So it's it's really a bit um, crazy if you kind of go back to the first principles of what is the biology here? What are we designed for over these? 63 million years of mammalian evolution, how our bodies designed to work. And I just so want to mention... If there were one birth practice that you could wave a magic wand and get rid of, what would it be? Well, it's about disturbance in labor and birth because, mm -hmm. you know, just going back to these 63 million years of human evolution, you know, we're designed to give birth safely in the wild. And that means being very sensitive to our surroundings. You know, a, a laboring female of any mammalian species is very vulnerable in labor. You can't move easily. You can't fight or flight's right. quite difficult, you know, plus you're attractive right. to predators because of the smells and the noises, etc. So, you know, the, the laboring female is very sensitive to her surroundings and she needs to be in the safest place possible and, and I say that the basic needs of, of the, the labouring female of any mammalian species is to feel private, safe and unobserved. So the more you mm. can make your birthing space private, safe and unobserved and I'm not saying we've all got to go and give birth in a cave but the more you're going to let that hormonal physiology flow. So having people in hospital, you know, if you're going to hospital that you're familiar with, having a doula, bringing some familiar things from home, bringing your pillow to bury your face into, bringing yes. headphones to shut out the noises you know it's it's a sensory it's basic we're going back to the basic limbic system in the brain that that needs to know that the the sensations that are coming in are consistent with the safe place to give birth and you know another way of looking at it is that the, these hormones that we're talking about and of having a baby are almost identical to the hormones of making a baby so mm. the kind of conditions mm. you need to have a baby are actually the same <laughs> conditions you need to make babies so again that makes sense doesn't it private safe and unobserved Absolutely. and it, it can be done in any setting it's obviously going to be trickier in hospital and it really explains why you know birth can be going labor can be going so well at home and then you go to hospital and everything stops because you know your your primitive brain goes this is not safe shuts everything down you know like um 
yeah, and, and then you know when you start to settle in and feel safer again, then things can can start to flow. So so important to take that into account. And for I'm people that want about, to know, I'm thinking about simple things like a little uh, a cat to birth her kittens. Where's she going to go? She's exactly. going to go in a box underneath the sink or somewhere where she yeah. feels, as you say, private, safe, and unobserved because she knows she is in a vulnerable position. Exactly. And, uh, and yet, with hospitals, that's kind of just blown away totally. Hey, everybody, do not go away. Dr. Buckley's going to be right back, and so will I, right after this short break. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash donor. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. 
To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Dr. Sarah Buckley. She is the author of Gentle Birth, Gentle Mother. Dr. Buckley, you've alluded several times to the idea of filling this gap. And by that, I believe you mean the deed has already been done. She's already had her cesarean or her induction or her epidural or whatever she's had. And so talk to us a little bit about where where do we go from there in order to help her have an optimal breastfeeding experience. Yeah, beautiful. Well, one way that we look at um, labor and birth is we say, we use this word physiologic, which means, you know, birthing according to the body's natural, healthy biologic processes. So obviously sometimes birth is totally physiologic. It's undisturbed. The woman's hormones flow. The baby comes out, crawls to the breast. Everything's fine. But there's other, ex- the, the other extreme is a pre-labor cesarean, which obviously sometimes is necessary for the health and well-being or even survival of mother and baby. So in that circumstance, there's much less of the hormones that we're talking about, not only that labor and birth is missed, but all the pre-labor preparations that ensure that the systems are active and online, ready for labor and birth are also missed. So in between these two kind of extremes, every woman is on a continuum there. So what we say is, you know, we don't we don't say physiologic birth is the ideal and everyone should have that. We say, you know, where is the woman on that kind of continuum and how can we add more physiology? How can we help her hormones to flow? So we talked sure. about private, safe and unobserved, but for some women there's not even a labour, so there's quite a big hormonal gap between what their body and their baby expects and what actually happens. But the good news is that the hormones of labour and birth are almost identical to the hormones of breastfeeding and of skin-to-skin contact, which is also oxytocin, also endorphins, Mm -hmm. also prolactin. So skin-to-skin contact is a a big thing that will help to fill that, that, that hormonal gap for mother and baby. So the baby on the mother as soon as possible after birth and there are some really innovative um, cesarean um, providers at the moment who are doing some some people call it family family oriented cesarean natural cesarean where the baby goes straight onto the mother obviously things need to kind of get organized with surgical fields and helpers for the mother you know she can't be expected sure. to hold the baby on but when those sure. things are done the baby can go straight on the mother and then the baby you know has this opportunity to kind of slowly wake up and in their own time and get ready and become alert and be ready for breastfeeding which which is going to take longer than than a baby that's got all that hormonal preparation. So skin to skin contact, and that that includes any time. You know that in the first six weeks, the baby has all these intrinsic reflexes that help mm, the baby to, mm, to crawl up and, and yes. attach itself to the breast. So some um, women have used that or, or lactation consultants have advised that if the baby's had a, a difficult start with breastfeeding, get naked in the bath with your baby, Absolutely. put your baby on your belly. Your baby knows what to do, can crawl up and, and, and attach themselves to the breast and in doing so kind of repattern the brain of relearning how to get onto the breast and that can be I like a, that word. a really great way of, of filling in the hormonal gap. So um. Carrying your baby in any way, skin to skin is ideal, but carrying your baby also releases oxytocin, endorphins, prolactin. Carrying your baby front you know, front to front because that's where the oxytocin system goes down the front of the body, so the slings and carriers. But also if you can get a carrier, 
a simple carrier where you can actually have your skin against your baby's skin. One study that showed that it actually reduced depression scores in, in women oh, in the first mm-hmm. month who had their baby skin to skin for several hours a day. So skin to skin and breastfeeding, as I said, has all of those hormones as well. So, you know, you're, when your baby's born, their their tummy's the size of a ping pong ball. So they need frequent breastfeeding, which is ideal for you to get all those hormones flowing right. and not just flowing for making breast milk, but as we described, oxytocin, they're all released in the brain. So they're all switching on the reward and pleasure centers. They're activating mm-hmm. maternal behaviors. They're addicting you to your baby, you could say. <laughs> so that, oh, what a great way to put it. <laughs> so, that, so that you all give your baby that dedicated care. So you know, sometimes I call breastfeeding Mother Nature's backup system. You know, if it, you don't mm. get those hormones at birth, you can catch up, you can fill in those hormonal gaps through skin to skin and breastfeeding. But it takes longer. You know, you and your baby have yes. missed that window of opportunity where things would happen very effectively. An hour of labor and birth could switch all of that on. But you're going to have to do days or sometimes even weeks of breastfeeding and skin to skin to catch up with those hormones. Yes. And, you know, one of the things that I've said for years is very simple. Early and often, early and often, early and often. Perfect. And, you know, it's a very simple concept, but I'm astonished at how many people don't really understand that, uh, you know, early means in the first few minutes. And yeah, if yeah. and if you miss that, well, then get as early as you can. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There is a particular sensitivity in that hour after birth, and that's oh, recognised, yeah. for example, in the Baby Friendly Hospital Initiative. But the mother's sure. body is just in this state of total readiness. Like I said, the perfect first date, and the I baby's body is, is in the system of total readiness. So you know yes. that first hour is such a window of opportunity. It's called the early sensitive period. Really, really important. The sooner you can get your baby, you know, and and, and one study, for example, showed that when we, the sooner the woman had the baby, the better her mood was in hospital, but even eight months later, the imprinting that happens at birth has this long-term effect on your relationship with your baby and your mental health and well-being by activating those reward and pleasure centers and getting that sort of cycle of reward and pleasure with your baby. You, you, you're a source of pleasure for your baby. Your baby's a source of pleasure for you. It's very reciprocal. Mm, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, truly, if we just thought about human relationships, it is about reciprocity. It's about Mm -hmm. having that interaction. And hopefully, uh, we we might not word it as reward and pleasure, but certainly, I, I invite you to come on the show, you come on the show, you come on the show, you talk, I talk, we have a good time, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And so it it, it should not surprise us that the same is true for for mothers and babies where we have this situation where there's this extreme reciprocity. And, you know, uh, Yiftis Moberg talked in, um, I think it was her 1989 study, might have been even earlier, where she talked about that interaction of the approach the interaction and the satiety phase. And of yeah. course, she, she talked about it with respect to breastfeeding, but honestly, we yeah. can talk about that with respect to to pretty much at anything. But as usual, this day always goes too quickly. Our hour is <laughs> almost up. Before we leave today, uh, could you tell us, please, the name of your book and uh, where we can find it? I will have it featured on my website, which is borntobebreastfed.org, but I'm sure that you have it elsewhere. 
Yes, yeah, so it's gentle birth, gentle mothering. And I'd also encourage people to go to my website, sarahbuckley.com. And if you go to the subscribe section, you can download a free ebook called Ecstatic Birth, Nature's Hormonal oh. Blueprint for Labor. So sure, that's a really sure. nice summary of what we've, what we've been talking about. And then my report, if you could put the link in there as well, that's a sure. totally free download if you want to know all the science um, behind what we've been talking about this morning. And I also have DVDs, a whole day workshop. But go to my website, sarahbuckley.com and check it out. Okay, that's sarahbuckley.com. Don't miss it and don't miss ecstatic birth. And by all means, uh, just pass this on to your friends because everything that she's just said is just so so hugely important. Uh, Dr. Sarah J. Buckley, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a great pleasure, Marie. A lot of fun. Thank you. Oh, good, good. Now, I'd like to thank all of you for being here because, honestly, if we did not have listeners, well, we would just wouldn't have a show. So thank you so much for being here and for joining us every week. Now, uh, if you are a professional and you're interested in continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. My courses and tons of resources and my blog and much more are all on my professional website. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.